Hi, everybody. It's, um, I guess it's springtime now in my part of the world. It doesn't really feel like it because it's raining heavily outside at the moment. But I'm quite happy. I'm quite excited um, on what the new season is going to bring. So I hope you are too, even though I do realize that in um, the other side of the world, it would be coming up to winter uh, for you. So if that's the case, I hope you can get excited for winter. <laughs> um, but I'm going to tell you one of my favorite stories this episode, so stay tuned. Welcome to History Made Beautiful, a podcast about the beauty, diversity, faith, and community in world history. Here is your hostess, author and historian, Martini Fischer. He is described as elusive, and he is described as difficult to pinpoint. But the old man of the sea may take on many names in mythology. Um, I can tell you that he embodies the virtues of truth and justice. Um, well, at least in the olden days, until he was usurped by a sort of a sinister character who made a nuisance of himself by latching on to men, or rather heroes, uh, like a sort of an irritating conscience, uh, which one could only get rid of by getting drunk. The fourth book of Homer's Odyssey says that, and I quote this because I think it's quite beautiful, when the sun has reach mid-heaven, the unerring old man of the sea is wont to come forth from the brine at the breath of the west wind, hidden by a dark ripple. In the same work, the sea nymph, uh, Edothia, uh, uh, identifies her father Proteus as an old immortal who lives under the sea. Now, Proteus is the right-hand man of Poseidon, and like the modern science of bathymetry, uh, knows every inch of the seabed. So if a traveler managed to capture and restrain him, Proteus can answer pretty much any questions they may pose about their voyage, which course to follow and how to sail to reach home and so on. He can even inform them of all that has happened at their homes during their absence. Um, but capturing the sea god means holding on tightly because he is a shapeshifter and he transforms easily from one form to another. Now, this title, the old man of the sea, it doesn't seem to be confined to just one being. Although Homer is adamant that the old man of the sea is Proteus, Hesiod's uh, theogony refers to the Nereids, or sea nymphs, as daughters of Nereus, the old man of the sea. Um, and also, in a completely different Middle Eastern culture, the old man of the sea is described as a, 
an even more sinister figure. In the tale of Sinbad the Sailor, for example, he is said to trick a traveler into allowing him to ride on his shoulders while the traveler transports him across a stream. However, the old man would then not release his grip, so he would be forcing his victim to transport him wherever he pleases, and he allows his victim a little rest. Oceanus, one of the old sea gods, was a titan who aided Zeus in the great war of the gods, and when Poseidon became the new god of the sea, Oceanus and his many children were sort of subjugated to Poseidon in ruling the great ocean and the other waters of the earth. One of the many children of Oceanus was Proteus. Um, Proteus's job was to take care of uh, Poseidon's sea calves. Proteus would lead the sea calves up uh, um, on the land every day where they would lay down to sleep on the rocks and bathe in the sun on the warm shore. Um, and he was a very old man with long gray hair and his body covered with the foam of the ocean and his beard covered in seaweed. And although Proteus had knowledge of all things past, present, and future, he disliked um, telling people what he knew. Those who wished to consult him had to tie him up before he, you know, uh, awoke from his afternoon slumber. When Proteus was awake, he would then try to escape by adopting all kinds of different shapes. But if his capture um, held him fast, Proteus would at last return to his proper body, provide the answer requested, and plunge into the sea. Few heroes have managed to catch him. Um, in the Odyssey, it was Menelaus, the king of uh, Mycenaean uh, Sparta, and the husband of the legendary Helen of Troy, um, that is, before Paris abducted, uh, abducted her. Um, he managed to restrain Proteus, not Paris, I mean Menelaus. Um, and in Virgil's Georgics, it was Aristeus, the son of Apollo and the huntress Serene, who was credited with the discovery of the art of beekeeping, among other things, who tried to capture Prote uh, Proteus. The other old man of the sea is Nereus, son of, uh, son of Pontus and Gaia, and known as the god of the ri uh, sea's rich bounty of fish. Nereus lived in the depth of the Aegean with his wife Doris and 50 daughters collectively called the Nereids. Like Proteus, uh, Nereus was a master shapeshifter with knowledge of the past, present, and future. Um, it was to gain access to this knowledge that Heracles uh, wrestled him in search of directions to the garden of the nymph of the evening and the golden lights of sunset. Nereus was depicted on ancient Greek face paintings as a very old man with the wooden staff accompanied by a few of his Nereid daughters. Sometimes he was also depicted as having a coiled fish tail instead of legs.
A Middle Eastern variety provides a slightly different depiction of the old man of the sea. In A Thousand and One Nights, uh, Sinbad the Sailor, um, a fictional mariner and the hero of his story cycle, is described as hailing from Baghdad during the early Abbasid Caliphates, which would be 8th and 9th century AD. As the most famous sailor of his age, Sinbad tried to retire and live in comfort on the land, but the calm and ordinary lifestyle soon bored him. He then decided to return to the sea. On his fifth voyage, Sinbad's ship was destroyed in a violent storm and his crew were missing or dead. Sinbad, the only survivor, clung onto uh, flotsam until he was swept by the tide onto an island shore. When he was rested, Sinbad began to explore the island and was soon in awe of its beauty. The island contained all kinds of fruits and he could hear beautiful birds singing in the trees. As he walked around the island enjoying the view and searching for a way home, he noticed a grove of willows and saw an old man sitting there peacefully. The man never said a word, wearing an outfit made of leaves. But he beckoned Sinbad to approach and he stared into the distance. Never answering Sinbad's question, uh, the man showed Sinbad his wish to be carried across the island to the other side. Without words, of course, because he was silent. Uh, thinking that the poor man must have lost the use of his voice and his legs somehow, uh, Sinbad knelt down. So the man jumped on Sinbad's back and carrying him, Sinbad began crossing the island. When they reached the far fruit um, orchard, uh, Sinbad halted and knelt again. But the old man didn't climb off his back and just gripped him tighter. So anxiously, Sinbad begged the man to climb down. But each time he spoke, the man's grip grew tighter until Sinbad could barely breathe. Thinking that he had carried the man to the wrong destination, Sinbad asked again where the man wished to go. The old man pointed in another direction, and again Sinbad woke. However, the, by now, the weight of the man was making him more and more tired as he had ever been. Still, the old man wouldn't let go. He carried the man uh, for days while, he, while the man happily reached up to pick fruit from the trees. And one day, Sinbad spotted a big gourd of fleshy, edible, large fruit with a hard skin. Um, and the gourd was lying on the ground. With the man on his back, Sinbad gathered clusters of red grapes. Returning to the gourd, uh, he took his knife and slit a lid from the gourd's top. He crushed the grapes into the gourd and placed the lid back before leaving the gourd in the sun to ferment. A few days later, Sinbad carried the man to the gourd and lifted the lid and took a long drink. The old man snatched the gourd from his hand and began to drink. 
And by the time the old man had finished the contents of the gourd, uh, Sinbad could feel his tight grip loosening. He heard the old man mumble, and after a short while, the old man fell asleep and relaxed his hold of Sinbad. Noticing joyfully that the man had been pointing him to the direction of the ocean, Sinbad ran to the shore and dove into the sea, swimming as fast as his as he could, hoping that someone would come to rescue him. Before long, a ship passed by, and the sailors pulled him on board. When he told him, um, them his tale, the sailors informed him that the old man was uh, Sheikh Al-Bar, or Sheikh of the Sea, and congratulate, uh, congratulated him as being the only man ever to survive an encounter with him. In many myths and legends and folk tales, uh, you will find this um, archetype of unexpected development where the sort of otherworldly helper figure becomes the antagonist somehow, or an initial antagonist becomes an unexpected helper. Um, for example, Rumpel, I can't even say his name, Rumpelstiltskin. There you go. Rumpelstiltskin is an example of this. He is a, a sort of an uh, otherworldly figure who, having helped the heroine to um, accomplish her impossible task, turns into a source of danger by way of his demands. Patterns of a similar nature can also be found in several Greek myths which features other world figures. When Jason and the Argonauts um, embarked on their quest for the Golden Fleece in the distant east, they met an elderly seer uh, named Phineas. In gratitude for Jason and his men ridding him of the harpies that had been polluting his food, Phineas imparted valuable information about the direction they had to take to obtain the Golden Fleece. When the Greek expedition charged with recovering Helen from Troy inadvertently came to uh, Tuthrania in Asia Minor, they met Telephus, the local king. Telephus was wounded by Achilles in the uh, consequent battle, and when the Greek fleet sailed back home to re-equip, Telephus made his way to Greece in disguise as he was told by an oracle that only the spear that had wounded him originally could now cure him. When his wound was healed, Telephus guided the Greeks to Troy. And I mentioned Heracles before, uh, but when Heracles encountered Nereus, the old man of the sea, he managed to compel, uh, compel him to impart vital information about his quest, in spite of Nereus' you know, relentless shape-shifting. Phineas, Telephus, and Nereus, they uh, represent the role of the reluctant helper. From which, um, from whom the hero has to extract information, by force or by uh, intelligence. 
when Menelaus wanted to learn how to escape from Egypt, or when Aristeus wanted to learn how to replenish his store of bees, they both had to ambush uh, uh, Proteus, the old man of the sea. And they had to master him, despite his many changes in shape, and obtain the information they need. Um, Nereus's daughter Thetis was likewise a, a skilled shif shifter. The hero Peleus, king of Phthia, and later the father of Achilles by Thetis, uh, wrestled with her on the beach, and after overpowering her despite her metamorphosis, he eventually married her. Um, Hesiod lists the descendants of Pontus, beginning with the eldest and most venerable, Nereus, the sea's ancient or the old man of the sea. And he said, but Pontus, the great sea, was father of Apsiudes, truthful, Nereus, Alethes, or those who, um, the person who tells no lies, eldest of his sons. They call him the old gentleman because he is Nemertes, trustworthy and gentle and never forgetful of what is right. But the thought of his mind are mild and righteous. So these three epithets, um, Apsiudes, Alethes, and Nemertes, indicate exceptional importance of Nereus and his role. The figure of the old man of the sea thus seem to cover two domains, prophecy and justice, both of which are, well, like the old man of the sea, always elusive and difficult to pin down. And in Hesiod's Theogony, uh, Nereus administered justice, but he also embodied a prophetic power whose wisdom the ancients always praised and preserve and passed on. Moreover, Nereus was the head of a lineage of um, oracular deities, and most of his 50 daughters have names associated with navigation and sea trading. Um, Acteia, for example, means seashore, um, and Ione means beach. And while a dozen or so bears the name of political virtues, such as Agave, the illustrious, um, and autonoe uh, means with her own mind. Um, his daughter, Aido, was called Theonoe because, according to Euripides, she knew all divine things, the present and the future, a privilege she inherited from her forebear, Nereus. When Glaucus, the mortal-born prophetic sea god, appeared to the Argonauts, he declared himself to be the prophet of the old man of the sea and the husband of Pantheidia, the all-knowing one. Gods such as Nereus, Proteus, and Glaucus live within the depth of the sea from where they dispense a special kind of justice the kind of justice that was beyond the capacity of human judges to deliver. These gods were patrons of sea justice and ancient ritual ordeals. 
when a conflict arose between the hero Theseus and Minos, of who was guilty of violating a virgin, the matter was decided by the sea. Theseus dove into the waves and recovered the ring he had just thrown into the bottom of the ocean. He entered the world of the gods and proved his own divinity by surfacing the waters safe and in possession of the ring. In histories, Herodotus tells us about Fronin, the wise virgin who was slandered by her stepmother and given by her father to the merchant Temison, the dispenser of justice. Once at sea, Temison attached a rope to the girl, flung her into the waves, and then pulled her out alive. By allowing her to emerge from the waves safely, the sea had pronounced its verdict. The old man of the sea, therefore, embodied the gravest and most solemn form of justice, that by sacrifice and ordeal. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>